Before I get started, I would like to issue this disclaimer. I am not a mental health professional. I am an individual who is passionate about mental health and topics related to mental health. Research has been done on these topics and I am sharing my own personal experience. All conversation and information exchange are intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Any information shared should not be used as medical advice or to self-diagnose. If you believe you are experiencing an emergency, please talk to your primary physician or call 911. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Mind If We Chat. My name is Sarah. I am your host. Thank you everybody who has been listening to the podcast. And if you're a new listener, thank you for joining in with us. Um, so this month is Suicide Awareness Month. We've been talking a little bit about it um, in the last few episodes. Uh, so I'm a little nervous. Um, I don't know why <laughs> to record in this episode, but I just... I think it's because it's such a heavy topic, you know, and um, so any like we're going to be sharing statistics in this episode, talking a little bit about like race, gender and things like that um, and support. But I do want to like let you guys know, like some things that we can be talking about today may trigger some of you. So please take a step back, like relax. You don't have to listen to this episode. It's all good. Um, But yes. So today's guest I have sitting with me is Alicia Garcia. Hello, Alicia. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. It's actually, it's funny. We're recording on a Saturday and it is Suicide Prevention Day. So that's pretty cool that we are uh, recording this kind of episode on this day. Definitely. So so how are you doing? I'm doing really good. How How is school? School is a handful, but it's going really well. Yeah, so you were a previous guest. Tell us uh, what you're doing now. Yeah, so uh, the last time I was on here, I was just in the middle of my first year of graduate school um, for clinical mental health counseling. And so now I actually just started my second year. So it's very exciting getting into the very hands-on approach to things. So um, yeah, things are getting, you know, a little more real now. Yeah. So like, tell us a little bit about like, how was your first year? How would you rate your experience your first year? Um, 10 out of 10. <laughs> it was great. Um, I really learned a lot about myself and about um, the profession itself. Um, my first year was full of intro classes, uh, ethics, guidelines and things like that. So it really it was a great foundation to start with. And so going into the second year, I'm going into the more... Um, nitty gritty things, getting into the meat and potatoes of uh, treatment and assessment and working with different populations and things like that. So I definitely rate it 10 out of 10. And already the second year is also looking pretty good. So good, good. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, I'm in my third week now, going on my fourth week. And I just feel like, wow, like just in this short amount of time, I've learned so much. We've been doing a lot of case studies. Mm -hmm. So it's been really cool to like, you know, what is the presenting problem? Like, what are some of the symptoms they're having? What, what diagnostic code from the DSM-5 would you use? Right. And it's like, oh my goodness, it's like so much stuff. And we've been learning a lot about ADHD. A lot about ADHD. Because I am going for like the school counseling. So gotcha. we've been doing a lot of stuff with ADHD and um, oppositional defiant disorder. Like, whoo. <laughs> so it's been a lot. It's yeah, a lot. it's definitely a lot, but it's really important to learn. Um, one thing that really stood out to me during my first year was talking about this while also including the um, the multicultural aspect. How does right. this different for the different cultures and their belief systems and what did they learn and kind of uh, going through that process. And I feel like our culture and society has really overlooked that in the past. Mm-hmm. And so it's been really eye-opening going into a program with such a great emphasis on this. And I think that that's a really good step in the right direction for us. Yeah. yeah. And I think just in this field in general, that's what we try to do, right? Like right. cultural diversity, any kind of like supporting mm-hmm. um, field. Because even in my job, like we have to have some component to it where we look at culture and diversity because you don't want to just say, oh, I, I know what I'm talking about. Or right. I know what I'm doing. You never want to assume it really is important to know these things, you know, because you want to be sensitive to the people that you're working with and their culture. Definitely. So especially in our culture. So we do have, um, 
Mexican uh, Independence Day coming up. And, you know, we have Hispanic Heritage Month. So it's something we definitely want to highlight in our own culture, how we kind of overlook like mental health. But I feel like us, the younger generation is definitely like bringing more awareness to it and highlighting it by doing things like this, by doing community events, you know, bringing to the community and letting you know, like, we can talk about these things. It's okay. Yes. So that's... It's it's very difficult. And I feel like it's been difficult in the past. And just like you said, the youth is really um, bringing that into the focus Mm -hmm. and saying, you know, I think we should talk about this. And Mm -hmm. that is such a great movement that is happening. Right. Right. And just to see like previous generations, like how we're trying to change things, right? Like how we're trying to alter because we see, Hey, maybe this wasn't working as good as like we thought it was keeping things to ourselves, keeping things secret. Right. Let's talk about it. Let's get it out there. Let's like, let's chat about inform, it. Right? <laughs> let's <laughs> chat about it. I, exactly. I agree. <laughs> yeah. So let's start off with what we're going to be first talking about is why well, you know what? Let's go back just a little bit. Okay. You had mentioned something to me because I sent you the guideline mm-hmm. and you said like about some of the terminology I used and I was like, whoa, I feel awoken. <laughs> like, because everything changes, right? Like yes. everything changes. So talk to us about some of the terms because we are so kind of used to saying committed suicide. And that was one thing I even myself wrote in the guideline. Like, let's talk about people who, why people commit suicide and you said, oh, just to let you know. And even just your approach, I was like, man, girl, get it. Like, help me. <laughs> but yeah. so, so talk a little bit about that with us, about terms. Yeah, I think terms, um, it's really important to use the correct terminology. And so I think it, it there's no shame in using the incorrect terminology as you're learning. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. Um, going into my first year of classes, you know, we're not perfect. We don't know the the guidelines and everything just yet. So um, we're learning. And so in this first year, I really learned um, how to speak about this a little um, more like respectfully. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the correct way to kind of speak about suicide is to kind of say um, died by suicide rather than committed suicide. Um, And the way that I was taught is like, okay, did this person commit a crime? No, you know, so we don't want to kind of put that label on them and kind of, um, I guess, make it negative, if that makes sense. Um, So the correct way to go about it would say like died by suicide. Okay. And that makes sense. That was like um, Vanessa Bly had kind of told me when we talked, it's not like domestic violence victim, it's domestic violence survivor. Right. in the the words are so powerful, right? The way in which yes. you word things like is like very powerful. So when you empower someone by saying they're a survivor versus giving them a mentality that, like they're a victim, exactly. that's so like committing suicide, like you said, like what did they commit? Like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, okay, died yeah. by is better. But even in my mind, when I say died, I'm like, oh, I feel so like you know, even just yeah. the word makes me feel. So I think like when I say commit, it's most, mostly because I'm used to it, but also because it's like, well, this doesn't sound as bad, you know, yeah. to me. But it, um, It's definitely something to adjust to. And I remember when I was doing um, volunteer work for uh, sexual assault survivors, that's another thing that I learned, um, not to say victim, to say survivor, mm-hmm. to reframe it, to empower them. So I think that's really important in all contexts, um, especially these. Yeah. Are there any other terms? That you can think of that you maybe like learned about that? Um, not right off the top of my head. Okay. Wait, um, I think I actually have the thing that you sent me. Yeah, I saw that online and I okay. thought I'd send it to you. Um, it's like a list that says, say this instead of this. Um, so it says, say died by suicide instead of committed suicide. Suicide mm-hmm. death instead of successful attempt. Suicide attempt instead of unsuccessful attempt um person living with suicidal thoughts or behavior rather than um a suicide attempter or ideator um and just things like that just kind of reframing it to um even that one i'm looking at dealing with suicidal crisis you would say working with right because you don't want to make it seem like i'm just dealing with this person you know you're working with them you're working through 
um, their thoughts, their feelings, understanding why they're feeling this way, mm-hmm. um, and really working with them. I think that's really important, especially on this subject, to work alongside with somebody right. um, without judgment, without um, trying to problem solve or anything like that. I don't think they need that. I think they just really need support and understanding. Right. right. So I think that's really important to work with them. Right. And I, there's something in that, that you said that I'll kind of address on later, but, um, what are some of the reasons you feel people die from suicide? There's so many reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it can range from childhood trauma to trauma that you experience as an adult. Um, Financial burdens, lack of support, lack of resources, mm-hmm. um, and also living with a medical condition or a chronic illness, I feel like that is very overlooked. Um, so I feel like most of the reasons go unnoticed. Right. So it's really important to emphasize that there's so many reasons that somebody mm-hmm. might feel this way um, and really just trying to understand um, their position. Right. Right. So I was looking up and I found uh, AFSP.org, which is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And they like really like broke it down. So a lot of reasons are like health. Mm -hmm. So when you think about mental health, things like depression, substance use problems, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, personality traits of aggression, your mood changes, poor relationships, uh, conduct disorders, Anxiety disorders, those yes. attributed to serious physical health conditions, just like you had mentioned, traumatic brain injuries. Because when you think about it, our brain is like essential, right? <laughs> so when you have those traumatic brain injuries, they tra- they change like the chemical balances in your brain. They change the neurotransmitters, the way they work. And that can really affect someone's mood, which mm-hmm. in turn can affect the way they think. And that can lead to some thoughts, right? Definitely. So environmental it's access to lethal uh, means. So if someone has ways that they can die by suicide, I mean, it's easier. Like when you're in that frame of mind, you know? Right. And then prolonged stress, uh, things like harassment, bullying, poor relationship, unemployment, stressful life events, uh, like rejection. Some people aren't so resilient to rejection and that really can harp on how they feel, their self-esteem, their worth. And again, all those things can, you know, make them feel, you know, like, and then um, divorce, financial crises, uh, exposure to another person's suicide. Yes, or if it's within the family, if somebody right. in your family died by suicide. Yes, yes, that's another one. Um, and that goes to historical previous attempts, a family history of suicide, child abuse, neglect, trauma. So all those things you mentioned, those were all things mentioned on the list. And I kind of want to go back to the exposure to another person's suicide or to graphic or sensationalized accounts of suicide. When I think about that show, 13 Reasons Why, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of buzz around that because it said, like, you're you're idolizing suicide. Can you, like, share your thought on that? I just, I'm interested to hear, because I always like to hear what other people think. Yeah, I didn't, I completely forgot about that show. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I, I could understand where people are coming from, mm-hmm. um, because I think most of the viewers were pretty young. Right. Um, however, I think it's really important to bring awareness. And if we don't talk about it, nothing will change. So I think that show did a really great job at showing the struggles that the youth really go through, the bullying, the harassment, the um, just, you know, life things in high school and things like that and how it could really impact anyone, you know? And I think a lot of the students in that show struggled with, you know, a variety of different things. And I think it was really good at giving perspective. So that's kind of my stance on it. Um, But I do see how it could have been triggering or a little too graphic. Right. Especially when I think about it, because I watched it. And at first I was like, I don't really want to watch the show. But I started watching an episode and I'm like, I want to see what happens, you know. And I can see from the perspective of 
how like a younger person would watch this like yeah i can definitely see like oh this is what happens like you know but watching as an adult i'm like it, i feel like it was definitely shedding some light so i i do i'm on kind of on the same page like i have different opinions about it definitely. like i feel like it was like a way to bring awareness but i feel like the audience it was really geared for that was kind of like mm, i kind of right. you know so, all right, Alicia, thank you for your uh, perspective on that. <laughs> I course. appreciate it. And so let's talk about data a little bit. Um, again, we started talking about how we wanted to bring awareness for this month for also being Hispanic Heritage Month and kind of celebrating our culture, but also knowing what's happening in our culture. Right. So um, give me some of your like thoughts and things about our culture, like our Hispanic culture. Um, I think that our Hispanic culture does a really good job at staying safe mm -hmm. and staying within their comfort zone. And I say that respectfully because I understand how difficult it is to talk about this. Um, however, like I said, if we don't talk about it, nothing will change. Um, so when I was looking up some, um, some data about this, I actually saw that the highest suicide rate is among men. Mm -hmm. um, and so that really stood out to me. And I was trying to make the connection of like why, and I think it really just trickles down to their um, they they don't really seek help. Um, they don't know that the help is there. Um, and also, I think it just ties down to lack of resources to mental health services. Right. Um, and so I know that there's many movements trying to encourage men and boys to reach out for services. And so I think that's really great, especially since um, they have the highest suicide rate. So I think that's really important to emphasize because we need to care for our men and our boys for right. sure. Um, and then another thing, I remember learning this in undergraduate school, actually, um, the highest suicide rate in terms of age is actually among the elderly population. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, so we need to make sure that we're not really like overlooking anybody. And um, kind of going back to the culture, just us being Hispanic. And, you know, I think it's really difficult to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think people within our culture really shy away from it. We pretend it didn't happen. Uh, we create different stories to kind of accept it a little easier. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's kind of my experience with suicide within, um, the Hispanic culture yeah. and just, in terms of like gender and age. Yeah. So in looking at data, so the CDC came out with their 2020 uh, data for this year. Um, so Hispanics, let's see, males, Hispanic males, there's 12.3% Hispanic males die by suicide and 2.8% women die by suicide. Um, so, and, and again, looking at data, white males, 27 27%. Women, 6.9%. Uh, African-American, 12.9%. And males, 2.9% in females. Uh, and Asian, 10.3% in males and 3.8% in females. So that's the uh, race and ethnicity. So that, to me, um, I feel like it has a lot to do with not like the stigma, especially when I look at the men. 37% overall across the board compared to women at 10.8%. I feel like there's a lot of stigma that men can't talk about how they feel, especially in the Hispanic culture. Definitely. Like that, keep it to yourself. You're a man, don't cry, don't don't show emotion. You don't have any thoughts or feelings, you know? And having to harbor that and hold that in is really difficult. Definitely. So, and going back to what we were talking about, like why people commit, see, look at, <laughs> why people die by suicide is that a lot of pain. A lot Definitely. of pain, like feeling like you can't escape that pain. So when you think about like Hispanic males, when they have that pain and they're not able to express and they have to hold all that in. Right. I mean, it, it, it's very clear, like, you know. Right. And so. this is why it's important to really um, encourage men and boys to seek counseling mm -hmm. and to understand that they can speak about their feelings just as much as anybody else. Right. And that's okay. And so I think a really important um, component to this is unlearning all of those things that right. you've learned in your households sometimes, in school, from society, you know, within your culture. So 
I think that's really important for us to talk about. I'm glad we're talking about it. Right, right. And I feel like when men say, well, this is how I grew up and I know no other way, but it's like, you have to really find something inside yourself. And when you look at your child, do it for them, you know, because you want them to be able to pass on to their children. So all the things that we've learned, we have, like you said, we have to kind of unlearn those things. And it's hard. It is. It's very hard because I'm unlearning a lot of things that, you know, I, as a parent that I learned and as a parent, I'm like, I want to do better by my child. And there are times where I catch myself like, I'm about to do what my dad used to do, or I'm about to do what my mom used to do. I'm raising my voice. And I'm like, that's not what I want to be, you right. know? So I feel like it is hard to learn, but you can do it. It is possible. Definitely. Yeah. So, and then when I was looking at data too, the, so the CDC, uh, like I said, they came out with their 2020 data and suicide is the 12th leading cause of death overall in the United States, claiming the lives of 45,900 people. And it's the second leading cause of death ages 10 to 14 and 25 to 34. The third leading cause of death among individuals between the ages of 15 and 24. And the fourth leading cause of death among individuals, the ages of 35 and 44. Uh, There were nearly two times as many suicides in the United States as there were homicides. That was like the statistic that I just was like, wait a second, what? Right. Two times as many. And then, so when I was looking online, there's this chart, right? And I'll show Alicia right now. (laughs) There's this chart. Look at where COVID is. So these are the age ranges. But look at where COVID is here in the two middle parts. And I'm going to look up the age range. That's 15 to 24 and 25 to 34. Wow. COVID is like down compared to where suicide is for those age ranges. And you know what? This is so surprising because we don't hear about it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's part of the issue. That's yeah. I'm speechless. <laughs> yeah, because you don't know. And then when you mm-hmm. look at, when you actually take a look at a chart and look at the data, it kind of puts in perspective in your mind. It's that high up. Like, you can hear it, but it's like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Right. But when you actually, like, look at it on a chart like that, for me at least, I was like, wait, wow. It's definitely like, eye-opening. Yeah. So, it, to me, like, even just thinking about the age range, like, 10, 10? Wait, yeah. that was when I saw this data and I I said 10, there's here is five to nine. I'm going to look at this chart where it says five to nine. Suicide is 20, but even that five to nine and suicide is it's number 10 on this chart and it has the number 20 and, but it does have a little astral star by it and says unstable values, but still <laughs> I, I don't, I really feel strongly like what the hell yeah. is going on? You know, and it makes you think about when you hear stories about trends happening on TikTok, these right. kids try to do them or like bullying and things like that. And just like I said, pain, pain, pain. you want to get rid of that pain. And I think that's also important. Um, we need to also shift the perspective to looking at the youth, you know, they're just learning about their emotions. They're just learning about all of these big feelings and how to communicate them. And sometimes they don't even know how to. And so... Mm-hmm it's important to work with them because I think the the suicide rate for youth is, I have no words, you know, it's unbelievable. Right. And then when we even think about attempts or like suicidal ideation, so suicidal ideation is like thinking, right? The thinking about suicide. Um, Even when you like look at that 12.2 million people, have seriously thought about suicide. 12.2 million people. When I saw that, my eyes filled with tears. Like there, because it really, like this data goes to show you, you're really not alone. There's a bunch of people who think about that. Then they feel, because they feel pain. Right. And you know, no one wants to feel pain. So that's why it really like frustrates me when people make other people feel bad. You know, like why, why do that? Just be kind. 12.2 million people have seriously thought about suicide. Out of all those people, how many people do you think in there have been bullied, have been mistreated by other people? Like 
it's just it really it bothers me it really does it really does and it doesn't mean like being like the perfect human being right we all have bad days and we all say things about people but it's like just be kind just be kind yeah definitely you never know what somebody is going through Mm -hmm. behind closed doors Mm -hmm. so kindness really goes a long way and I, I get it we're not perfect but you know you don't know what that kindness could do for someone it could be something so small mm-hmm. and that could save that could save them that could make them feel a little loved the slightest bit and that could be just what they need right or even offering a resource right you no know, or even or offering just support just right. sitting in silence i know a lot of people shy away from this also because they're like well i don't know what to say sometimes you don't have to say anything at all just sit with them yep. and that's all they need sometimes yeah um, and that makes me think like how over the summer I was really reflecting on that. Do Am I really listening to respond or am I listening to understand? Am right. I listening to somebody with intent to make them feel heard and seen? Or am I just like listening to give a response? And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to listen with intent and I want right. to know, you know. Um, so I really started actively like doing that, just trying to listen. I um my first year of undergrad, I'm sorry, not undergrad, (laughs) my first year of the graduate program, um, I really, really like worked on my listening skills and something that I always remind myself in the beginning of um, interacting with almost anyone is love is listening. Mm -hmm. And so it really helps me to be present with them and to listen and to understand. So I think that's really important um, to actively listen Mm -hmm. and support. Yeah. Yeah, and then, like, sometimes someone just wants to share something to feel heard. Right. It's not like they're coming for a response. They're not coming because they want you to save their life and save the day. But it's like, I just want you to hear what I have to say. I want to feel seen. I want to feel heard. I want right. to feel like someone has my back. Right. You know? So someone told me, you're a really good listener. Like, well, like, or you don't say anything because I just want to hear you. I just want to hear what you have to say. Like, I don't have to say anything back unless you ask me. Now, if you say like, hey, say something, I'll say something. (laughs) But other than that, I'll just, I'll try to keep quiet. Introvert things. Yes, introvert (laughs) things. I agree, yeah. (laughs) People always like, well, you don't, you know, really include much in the conversation. I'm listening. Mm -hmm. I'm listening. Let me know when you want my input. And I I'll say everything. (laughs) As introverts are special kinds of people. Just because we really do like to listen and take things in versus like, Sometimes it's it's draining, like to be around extroverts, like because yeah. they just keep talking, 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 and you're just like, please <laughs> stop, my battery is draining. Oh yeah, I definitely learned that this year. Also, <laughs> I have to take care of my social battery, and mm-hmm. when it's drained, I need to go take care of myself. And I think that's really important for introverts and for anyone. Yeah. So yeah, and even talking about this subject, I feel like that's important to even share because you have to know when to take care of yourself because right. We have pain thresholds. Some are higher than others, but in talking about this, that pain leads us to do things that, you know, if we were without that pain, we wouldn't do. So when we think about that, how can we alleviate some of like those painful experiences? It's kind of keeping a little bit reserved or like knowing your limits. You don't right. have to do everything. And this is I'm learning it and I'm learning it the hard way. <laughs> you don't have to do everything. Like you need to take, oh, me too. you need to know when to take a break. Definitely. You need to know when to take a break. You don't need to work for rest. You deserve rest yes. always. Yes. So yeah, that's definitely something I'm learning <laughs> as well. <laughs> and especially like in any kind of helping field. Yes. Any kind, especially in any kind of like, like the healthcare, education, like any kind of field that you're like really helping, you got to rest. You yeah. And it's important time. to know your limits. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't be everybody's savior. And I think that's really important. So mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So then going back to some of that data, um, 3.2 million people made a plan for suicide and 1.2 million people have attempted suicide. So I'm thinking the CDC kind of covered this more worldwide. Right. Um, so yeah. And then one death, there is one death every 11 minutes. That one I have to like, I have to get out of my head because I'll really be like, oh yeah. my God, it's been like, oh, I'll, I'll like, oh no, I'm not going down that rabbit hole, but <laughs> it's, it's really, it's really sad when you think about that. It, is. it really, really is. And it's like, how can we help people? How can we prevent suicide? What are some of the things that we could do to help people, you know? Right. But uh, before we get into that, I kind of want to go over like the data for children, you know, when we talk about like uh 
suicide. And suicide attempts, some of the data I found was that youth risk behavior survey that was taken in 2019, 8.9% of youths in grades 9 through 12 reported that they had made at least one suicide attempt in the last 12 months. Female students attempted almost twice as often as male students. So there's 11 point, uh, 11% there versus 6.6%. American Indian or Alaska, Alaska Native students reported the highest rate of attempt at 25.5%, with white students at 7.9%. Approximately 2.5% of all students reported making a suicide attempt that required treatment by a doctor or nurse. For those requiring treatment, rates were highest for multiple race students by 4.1%. So give me some thoughts about that, Alicia. I think this is definitely a problem that needs to be addressed, Mm -hmm. not only um, within just like our community, just everywhere worldwide, like you said. Um, I think we need to add more resources. I think we need to be more understanding. I think especially when um, students are in high school, I think they are labeled as, oh, just dramatic. Oh, like, you know, this isn't a big deal. Just suck it up, whatever. You know, they're told all of these things, just like we kind of talked about with our culture. Um, it's kind of the same in within the high sc- the culture of high school. And so hearing that, um, I think it's just really important to bring resources and understanding to that population because these numbers shouldn't be this high. Right. At all. Right. And it's really upsetting to to hear you tell me these things. Yeah. And to me, it's just like when you think about the data that we read when it said males had the highest rate. But when you're looking at this with uh, youth in grades 9 through 12, female students are having a higher rate than male students. Kind of give me your opinion why you think that is. I think kind of tying back to the culture of high school, I think specifically young girls in high school are kind of given that label. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was surprised to kind of hear that difference too. And I think that as men get older, it's, I think they, you know, like repress more of that and they don't want to speak about it. Right. Whereas I think um, women might be a little more inclined to, especially in high school. Um, but then given that label of being dramatic or, you know, um, overreacting or whatever the case may be, I think um, it really it really hits them during that age. And they kind of work through that early on, if that makes sense. Right. Um, that's just kind of my perspective on it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I feel like when you're a teenager, you're already going through all of these changes, like, you know, physically and, you know, your right. brain is growing and... A lot of stuff is happening to your body. Mix that in with things like bullying, things like major life changes, because we're learning how to be resilient in these ages. So when things occur and you don't have necessarily have the proper support through those things, that makes it even harder. And some people are like, oh, you were so strong for going through that. Like, but I didn't need to be like, I needed somebody to like support me and be there for me. Right. And I think that's also an important note to make that I think during these years, uh, grade nine through 12, we don't really understand what's happening in their homes either. So, you know, they can come to school and quote unquote act out. Um, but what, what's beneath the surface of that? What's happening at home? Do they have what they need? Are they getting support? You know, those are the things that you need to look at. You can't just look at the surface level and label people and brush it off. You really have to go in depth. Right. And I feel that when you talk about that, I feel like a lot of teachers are even now addressing these things because teachers have to be aware of what's going on at home with their students and, you know, um, noticing signs and things to be able to talk to the counselor, school social worker to say, Hey, I've noticed this, like, you know, the student needs support. And I feel like teachers should have like, they should definitely engage in some workshops, not should have, but should definitely engage in workshops that help around that because it's in the classroom. And, you know, if a teacher can notice that, that can change the trajectory for a child 100%. Yes. You know, and that's why I, I really like the school that I work at 
because we do get a lot of like different workshops that we go to different, uh, a lot of different professional developments. And those things are really, really helpful because it's like you really learn things that will help a student in the classroom, you know? And I think it's important for teachers to know. So because we're seeing it a lot, especially after pandemic, especially after pandemic, you know, all these things, these children went through and, you know, the things that they experienced, uh, that isolation. Yeah, you that, know? that was traumatic right. for all of the students, you know, staying home, doing online classes, and then thrown back in with this illness. That's mm-hmm. very scary. Mm-hmm. So, and, and then being at home, you never know what their circumstances are. So, yep. you know, others, it's, yay, I get to work from home or do classes from home. And others, it's dreadful. And yeah. so we need to be aware that not every situation is the same. Right. Because school offered like a safe haven school right. for some kids. Definitely. School was a, a way they got food, you know, the way they ate, you know, and then the issue of like not even being able to connect online to see even people that way, right. how that even takes a toll on a child's mental health or right. even a parent. Especially during you their know? developmental ages where mm-hmm. they're learning these social skills and, you know, staying home for two years and then being thrown right back into it. It's 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 a lot. Even for adults, I know I've heard from a lot of adults who are still relearning right. how to get back into society and we're expecting this from young children who don't have the experience that we do, it's a lot to ask. And or so, even don't have the coping skills. Right, you exactly. Know? Don't have the coping skills yet and have, you know, aren't being able to learn that. But when we look at schools, like I will say Jane Adams, I've talked to the um, counselor there and I, just, I even felt like warmth and a lot of like, when even when I went into her office, I was like, wow, like this is, this is welcoming for students. So I think even just having someone like that, like a school counselor, a school social worker, those are the people like that in within a school system that really help your child. Besides right. the te- like the teachers are great too. Right. But having that support so when students are feeling that way, it is good to encourage them to go talk to that school counselor. Definitely. You know, or even if a student isn't so open and wants to talk to their teacher, just popping in to to see that school counselor. Right. Um and, def- and I think most schools also have group counseling. So they have like mm-hmm. a time throughout the day like once or twice a week where they meet. And I think that could be really helpful. And so I think that's important. Yeah, definitely having those groups because you also want to teach those socialization skills. Exactly. You know, so, so let's talk a little bit about prevention. How do we prevent suicide? Um, I think really just talking about it and making sure that if there's somebody who you know, who is having thoughts of suicide, really giving them that support and helping them with resources. Um, Because most of the time, I think that they don't know where to look. They don't know that they can reach out for help. And so I think having somebody alongside with during their journey of discovering that is really important. Um, And also just spreading awareness and advocating and making sure that these numbers are known, because I'm pretty sure that most of the listeners won't know that these numbers are this high, yeah. you know? And so it is an eye-opening experience to see this. And, um, you know, what can we do about it? We can talk about it. We can advocate and um, just support and be kind, I think. Yeah. And I think definitely, like, knowing the signs. Yes. What are the signs of someone who is feeling suicidal? What are what are things that you can do? So, um, to touch on that, some of the signs I found were, uh, talking about it. So if someone's saying, uh, that they're having feelings that they want to kill themselves or if they're expressing they're feeling hopeless, um, they don't see a reason in living, being a burden to others, feeling trapped or feeling unbearable pain. So that's why it's important to listen to people because they, they could be telling you and what they're saying sometimes direct and sometimes indirectly. Right. It's important. It's important to be present and in tune on what somebody's trying to share with you. Um, some behaviors, increased alcohol use, um, searching up suicidal methods. That's a that's a really important one, especially right. if you have children. Like, look at that Google search. Definitely. Look at what they're looking up because you know that in itself is a big one. Um, and so withdrawal isolation, loss of interest in things, sleeping too much or too little. So like some of those signs of depression, right? Right. Uh, visiting or calling people to say goodbye, giving away possessions that are important to them, 
uh, fatigue, aggression, and mood. So some of the moods you'll see, depression, um, anxiety, loss of interest in things, irritability, maybe expressing shame, anger, and uh, relief are sudden improvement. So it's like one day they may express like, oh, I don't want to do anything no more. I don't have the desire to live. Right. Oh no, now I've expressed this to you. Let me retreat. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, everything's happy. You know, so kind of noticing that that can be really important. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of these things occur in all of us at Mm -hmm. some different level. So I think the key is really understanding when that intensity level spikes. So if there's somebody who normally, you know, experiences anxiety and depression, has it heightened significantly and paying attention to that. Um, Some other feelings I kind of noticed for like signs of, um, suicide would be feelings of hopelessness, feeling like a burden. And, you know, just like you said, increased anxiety and depression and irritability. Um, and also risky behavior. So like, uh, reckless driving, things like that, not really, um, caring about the safety of yourself or others. And so really just paying attention to the changes in someone's behavior like that. So just like you said, listening is so important because they're telling you what's happening, what's going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I feel like you'll know, like you mm-hmm. know someone, like you you can see when something's going on. So even just that kind of check in, like, hey, I've noticed, I've noticed something's a little bit different about you. Right. You want to talk about it? Like, right. If you see something, say something. Right. And that's just like the perfect way to go about it. Right. And so for you, what are some ways that we can really... Um, prevent someone from feeling like that. Well, we can't, let me reword that. <laughs> what are some ways that, uh, like other ways that you feel like we can prevent people from, you know, having some suicidal ideation? Cause it does happen. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to support them through it. Yeah. Um, I don't think that a conversation will release them from their, their, um, feelings and their thoughts, but I think, staying with them and making sure that they're safe, making sure that they are supported is really important. Listening without judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I I would say encourage them to get through that day. We can only take this life one day at a time. And so I think it's important to approach it in that way, one day at a time. Um, So I, I would say just to understand and to listen. Right. Right. Some other things that I have found about prevention um, was strengthening economic supports. So like no, like having some resources there for them. And that can look like food. That can look like housing. Mm -hmm. That can look like uh, utility assistance. Like because those things, when they start to pile and, you know, like we said about the um, some of the factors was financial. Right. So, and that's a big one because that's a big stress stressor. We need money to survive. We need like to have a roof over our head and we need food. And, you know, so when you think about that, um, so some ways we can do that are strengthen household financial security, like make sure there's jobs available that are accessible to people and obtainable. And then, um, housing stabilization policies it makes me really sad when i see like veterans who are homeless because why the hell did you fight for this country and now you're homeless like what the hell's going on here in america that's what it makes me think like why are veterans homeless it makes no sense to me at all you know so even in thinking about that like we need housing like everybody should have those are our basic needs yeah we need housing we need shelter um all types of support and I think that's something that a lot of us really lack. And that's mm-hmm. like a very huge contributing factor. Mm-hmm. And then some other prevention ways are strengthening access and delivery of care. Definitely. You know, because without that, and when we even think about that, like barriers, especially with Hispanic community, when you don't have citizenship, you can't just go apply for like, you know, medical insurance. Right. And that's like a big thing. That's why a lot of people don't have coverage. That's a huge barrier. A huge barrier for people is to have access to not only healthcare, but well, healthcare, but like the mental health aspect too. Like I can't go see a therapist if I don't have insurance because it's really expensive. Right. You know? So when I see like things like the coffee mental health, like what is, what is it called? Is that what it's called? Coffee and mental health, they do like the free therapy. 
I haven't heard of that. You haven't heard of that? No. I'll have to share it out because okay. I feel like what they're doing is really great. I actually had saw a post um, today that they made on Instagram and they're looking for therapists to do therapy sessions pro bono. Oh. Because they want to like hire right. case managers and things. They're a non for profit. Yeah, I and haven't it, heard of that. Yeah. I have to yeah. Look, check I'm, it out. You know what? Hold on one second. I want to look <laughs> Let's it up. Pull it up. I, I want to do this right. Because <laughs> I like what they do. I really, really like the things that they do and what they're doing. And I think it's important to know that some of these things, they aren't easy. You know, it's not easy to um, find a job right away and things like that. It, it's far too difficult in my opinion. Um, and so I think that kindness and support can go a really long way and really sitting with somebody through this journey and working through it, right. working with them. I agree. I agree 100%. That little bit of help that you give to someone, that little bit of kindness you show to someone can go a long, long way. Yes. So it is coffee, hip hop and mental health. Yeah. They're a nonprofit organization. Um, and their goal is to normalize therapy. So, like I said, I really like what they're doing. Their, their name came kind of to my head. I got a lot of stuff going on upstairs. So, you know, my brain is everywhere. But, yeah, I definitely feel like things like that, like, oh, there's a barrier. Okay, here, we're going to come and try to do our best and help. Any therapist want to give back and, like, do pro bono? Come on, like, come do this for us yeah. because it helps the people. And that's really you know? important because that is another reason why a lot of people don't seek help because mm -hmm. they don't have access to it. And I, I think it's essential that they do. So yeah. I think that's really important. Thank you for sharing that with oh, me. Yes. And then even like your coverage and Aaron and I had talked about this in the eating disorder episode, mm -hmm. like coverage, sometimes your health insurance policy won't cover certain things. Right. And it's like, ridiculous like wait what are we doing here like come on I don't under, I don't it makes me upset because I just don't understand why we can't have access to these things right you know or why for any kind of assistance especially with mental health we're paying so much you know it's just it, it frustrates me it frustrates me and I'm sure like I'll learn in school even more about this but um it just it makes me upset right and then creating protective environments so um, kind of going back a little, people who have had suicide attempts and are maybe hospitalized when they, before they're released, they have to, the family kind of comes up with a suicide, uh, safety plan. So in that safety plan, kind of creating like, how are you going to keep the environment safe? I think that's really important. Even when someone has like suicidal ideation, right. I feel like coming together, like people in their life coming together to support them. What can we do? You know, what can we do? Because I'll say wellness is rooted in community. Right. So and even in wellness is rooted in whatever support you have, that support system is essential. Right. Because if you know that someone's having suicidal ideation, coming together and saying like, hey, you know, this is what I've noticed. How can we support this person? Right. And in these safety plans, um, there's a section where you identify one person or more Um who you can go to when you're feeling this way. And honestly, that is all it takes, just yep. one person. So if you could be that person, you know, be kind and be supportive, that could literally save a life. Yep. So I think that's really important to point out too. Yeah. And so in this creative uh, protective environments, uh, reducing access to lethal means among persons at risk for suicide. Right. Um, and then community-based policies to reduce excessive alcohol use. I cannot express how angry it makes me when I drive through South Chicago and everything looks closed down, but I feel like this liquor store has been on 87th for like eons of years. <laughs> and But it's like everything else is kind of closing down, but this liquor store has stayed strong. And it, right. just, it really does because I am from, you know, South Chicago. It pisses me off. Why is this liquor store open all these hours? Like, And then to hear people like outrage, like, oh, the liquor stores are going to close early. Yeah, but why do we have a liquor store in like every corner? Right. You know, it's like, what can we do as a community to close some of these down and not have so many? I think that one of the main reasons um, people turn to alcohol is to cope. Right. They don't know any other way to cope. They, you know, feel like this is loving them and supporting mm -hmm. them and helping them. And I think it's important to kind of go in understanding that 
although it's not the healthiest, it's helping them to survive. And so that's like a, a way to kind of reframe that. And how can we, you know, provide other coping skills? How can we help them to relieve that stress and tension and pain in a healthier way rather mm-hmm. than alcohol? And so that is definitely an issue, especially in Chicago. Um, and so, yeah, it infuriates me too. But I also try to just understand that that's all they have or right. that's all they think they have. And um, just think of ways of understanding that and helping them to understand why they're doing it so that they can understand understand themselves better um, and kind of reshift their direction to something healthier. Right, right. And that makes a lot of sense. But for like, what can we do as a community, though, right. then? Like, what do we do as a community to kind of get where that liquor store isn't open so late you know like i i get where i totally get where you're coming from but i think it just makes me mad because my dad was an alcoholic and he used alcohol as a means so i think that's why i feel like passionate about it and you're right it is a way to get rid of pain but it's like what can we do to support people to kind of um alleviate that pain so they don't have to turn to alcohol and i think that it would be great to like have the um, the liquor stores close earlier and, you know, kind of pull that back a little bit. But I feel like if they want it, they will go somewhere else for right. it, you know, and that's kind of the issue. So I think that as a community, it would be important for us to increase the resources for mental health, uh, increase the resources for this pain and this suffering, because if they see, okay, um, others are going to this community event and others are getting resources and help here. Maybe that's something that I can do, you know, and it'll kind of expose them to healthier ways of coping instead of um, only being surrounded by the liquor stores and people who are also drinking with them. Um, So I think as a community, like I said, you know, advocacy and really just like speaking about it and um, bringing these resources into that area. Um, because I think, especially in that area that you were mentioning, I, I think that's something that they lack right. and they really, really need. Right. Um, so I think that's important. Right. And I think when I think about South Chicago, because it is home to me, I go to my limbic brain and emotion just automatically comes <laughs> and out. that is you know? completely understandable. <laughs> the prefrontal cortex starts to slow down <laughs> and the rationality doesn't come there. But you're totally right. Having having things open and bringing back like those community kind of like that togetherness. So people aren't running to go to the liquor store to numb their pain. You know, they can go just hang out at like the YMCA and like, you know, like do when I think about like my childhood and things and like things I would see like people just being together. It's like, you don't have to be together in alcohol, you know, like I feel having more programming where people can go and be together and it doesn't, there doesn't necessarily need to be alcohol involved and things like that. I think that's, what's important. So when I see like bridges, bridges Puentes doing like community events or like Tochi hosting events at her place or South by Southeast wanting to create all these events and Poco Picoso doing giveaways and you know things like that it's really like encouraging refreshing and it makes me like okay like we're we're trying to do something here you know we're trying to do something so that way you know people like you said people are going to do what they choose to do Um, but I feel, and they'll go to other communities, but it's like to see our community flourish in a better way and have better coping mechanisms. Cause I'm not saying alcohol is not like the devil. Like I'm really not (laughs) like, you know, people want to enjoy themselves, but I feel like going to that for release of pain and having so much access to it. I think that's the point I want to make. Now I'm coming back to my prefrontal cortex. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's important to also spread that awareness and resources in the area, because I think that oftentimes, um, some people, they start off with, oh, I'll just have a drink or two. And they don't realize, you mm-hmm. know, how it's worsened, how that switched to a pint, you yep. know? Yep. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, really getting that perspective. And, you know, I, I think it's all about planting seeds. Right. And if you could just plant one seed in that area and, you know, show them that people care and show them that people are putting in effort to help them specifically, then I think that could be really eye-opening for them um, in in their journey. Yeah, because when I think about, so when you look at a place like South Chicago, 
and you see there's lack of resources. There's a lot of um, improver, like, I'm, I'm, I can't. Can't say it right. There's a lot of poverty, right? Yeah. Uh, so lack of resources, poverty, low income housing. Um, when you just see things like that, like access to things that are really important to alleviate stressors, what happens is more stress is caused, and so you need an outlet. And what's happening is those outlets become the liquor store, right? You know, that's the point I'm trying to make. The outlets become the liquor store, and then what happens? You know, when you're drinking and drinking a lot. Sometimes things aren't so rational for you. And that's what I'm saying. Like when we look at data and things like that and suicide, it's just like if we didn't have so many liquor stores, if we didn't have so much access to the things that alleviate the pain and may cause, like may lead us to a higher risk of suicide, you know, what can we, what can we replace those liquor stores with? So that way we don't have to see these things happen to the people that we love. That way we don't have to see it happen to our friends. That way we don't have to see it to people in our community. Right. You know, and that, and that was the point I was trying to make. I had to go through all that, you know, my, I'm telling you, my brain is everywhere. (laughs) But you know, that's when I think about prevention is kind of reducing the things that are harmful and bringing more good in. Definitely. Yeah. So. (laughs) (laughs) all right so next let's move on to um why is it important for us you know as a as a society not just as a community but as a society as a society to raise awareness on suicide um this is really important in improving our interventions and improving um training on Mm -hmm. suicidality in terms of understanding the suicide, um, supporting individuals who are experiencing thoughts of suicide, and um, even behaviors. You know, I think it's really important to not keep it so hush-hush, to bring it into um, the awareness of others and let them know that there are resources and there's help. Mm -hmm. Um, And really working towards you know, getting them that those resources and that help and access, you know, like you said, it's not always easy for somebody to go to a therapy office and, you know, have a session. It, it, that's a privilege, you know? Right. And so it's really important to think of ways that we can bring these resources to those who don't have the access. And so how can we do that without spreading awareness of this issue? Mm -hmm. You know? So I think that's crucial. Yeah. And even when I think about like things that are happening in our community, I know that, um, Celia over at God giving others dreams, she's right there in South Chicago. She has wellness Wednesday workshops, you know, where women can come in. And I actually went to one of them and I enjoyed it a lot. Like the meditation, the activities that she had, I was like, you know, this is nice. And it was free of charge. It was nice to just be around other people. And I really enjoyed like the activities that were happening because it makes you feel like you have a sense of like community and other people and support. And, um, so having things like that, I feel is really important. I think one of the the best resources is each other, you know, and for those who have access and don't have access to mental health services, you have each other, you have neighbor, you have a friend or a family. And, you know, if you don't, then we're here, you know, and we are here to support you and everything. And I think that's just really important to um, establish and maintain that sense of community. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people know what's going on. If you don't know what's going on, other people in the community may know what's going on. So that's why I feel like that we need that connectedness. We need to like really bring that back, like, and know that you're not, you really aren't alone in anything that you do. And, you know, if you see someone sitting alone, even just saying hi, that small hi can spark up a conversation and you never know where it can go. And by the end of the conversation, you walk away with a lot of knowledge of what's happening around you. Even a smile could go Mm -hmm. a really long way. Just giving somebody a a quick smile could really improve their mood and help their day. Yeah. So, and and again, going back to the importance of raising, um, you know, awareness to suicide it's to keep people, you know, feeling connected and feeling like they belong and have a sense of purpose. And, you know, it it just makes me sad that there are people who feel like that, you know, and we just want, we want everybody to be around. That's what we want, you know? So how can we be more forthcoming about talking about suicide? Because this is hard, even like 
in myself talking, I'm like, because the words like are there, but I'm like, should I say it? I don't know if this is okay to say it. Like you get nervous. Yeah, you do. Definitely. Um, it's definitely not an easy subject to talk about. Um, but as, you know, as a culture, a society, as a community, I think it's important to do so. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to spread awareness. Um, and I think it's also, to, it, it's important to be aware that not talking about it is actually harmful. Right. You know, it's harmful to your neighbor who might be feeling this way, your friend who might be feeling this way, your family members who might be feeling this way. And so I think instead of viewing it as such a taboo subject and something that you need to shy away from and, you know, pretend didn't happen, I really think it's just the healing is in those difficult conversations. And so it's not always easy to pick that route, but I think that it's the route towards healing mm-hmm. and towards not only individual in, individually, but as a community, you know, um, and really tackling this worldwide issue right right and I just feel that you know if you feel it's it's not one thing like you have to come and talk to everybody about it if you're feeling this way right if you can find one trusted person even if if even if you want to tell your family and friends calling 988 yes calling the suicide and crisis hotline and talking to someone about how you feel that that's a step definitely because that that helps, you know, like they may not be able to fully extract that pain from you, but it alleviates some of that pain to be able to talk about what you're thinking, how you're feeling and being able to express yourself. And even that you're not giving, they don't know who you are, right? They don't know who you are, but it's a chance for you to get out what's going on inside. So you're not holding that or harboring it inside. Yeah. Because it it becomes so much to carry and you don't have to carry all of that weight around all Mm -hmm. the time, you know, um, because it's, it's exhausting it's draining and it's really painful. And I think it's, there's so much healing that can be done in just expressing it. You know, it's just a weight lifted off of your shoulders sometimes. And you're right. You know, if you don't have the access, you can definitely call the hotline and that's, you know, they're there to support you. And sorry, it's completely anonymous. So I feel like that, that contributes to, um, it being a little, uh, not easier, but accessible. Right. Right. And I feel like even if you don't want to talk, you, you they have the text option too. Definitely. You yes. can even go on the website and write in there, like in a chat. So I feel that, you know, spaces and things are trying to be created. Right. For this to happen where people don't have to feel alone, where people can have a space to express themselves. And I feel like this we're in the right direction. Definitely. You know, let's keep building on this. Let's keep going so we can like that number, that number. When I look at the numbers, they bother me. Right. You know, and I know we're not going to live in a perfect world. But when we when I see suicide is two times more than homicides, that to me is like, oh my God, what is happening? What right. is happening? And I feel like mental health, like we need to continue to talk about it. You know, we need to continue to learn about it. Um, and you know this as well as I do. We talked about it before we started recording. You're, We're always learning. So even mental health professionals, always learning, you know? Yes. So like we just need to just keep going, you know, as a community, as a whole, as a society, just keep going and keep learning about how we can help each other and how we can help other people. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, guys. Uh, Alisa, do you want to add anything else before we kind of wrap up here? Um, I think we can finish by just reminding everyone to just be kind and uh, that kindness can go a really long way. And also, if you feel alone during this journey, you definitely are not. There are people who support you and there are people who love you. And if you are experiencing thoughts of suicide or you know somebody who is, it's really important to take a look at this information and listen to um, videos and educate yourself and educate others on this subject because it's not something that will go away overnight. And I think it's important to um, address it when needed and um, really just be aware that you're not alone and that there's support, even though you, you don't see it directly in front of you in this moment, it is there and you know, you're supported and loved.
Yes. So thank you for that, Alicia. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you coming and talking today. I know, like I said, this is a hard subject, but we ta- I feel like we're closer to tackling the bigger, you know, I see, look at, I don't even know my words. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. Like I said, I appreciate you coming on again. Like, this is so cool. Alicia has my cousin. <laughs> so it's cool to have my cousin on. It's always good when you're with family. Definitely. And Alicia will be making our affirmation signs for the walk. So yes. as you all have seen, I have posted about our second annual uh, suicide awareness walk. I'm really excited for this one. So it, it will be at Jane Adams Elementary right there on the track and field. Uh, Jedi will be leading the run around Jane Adams. So that's really cool. We He actually, we talked about it and he was like, I'll lead a run. And I'm like, let's do it. Like, we just want to get people out. Yes. We want to see your faces. We want you to show up for community. So South Chicago, East Side, Hegwish, north side i don't care who come on and you know come and bring awareness you know so alicia thank you again for making the signs you and your sister will be making yes my sister and i will be making them we're really excited we're working on them tomorrow yes well we're really excited because last year we know you guys did such a beautiful job it was such a good response like that was a lot of what i heard during the walk was people saying like how much they love the signs so we're glad to have you guys do that for us again um another thing is we will be having community resources so i feel like that's really cool because it's and it's not just like mental health resources it's child care resources it's um you know food resources it's these things that are going to help like alleviate stress and right. we know stress can cause pain which can cause what we are talking about today right so i feel that having these resources um are really important and they're essential and then we will also be having uh yoga with Susie Sunshine, so of Sunshine Healing, she will be coming and doing yoga with us. So please make sure you bring a yoga mat. And then we will also have Sarah, uh, the holistic healer. She is she has been a former guest and she is an angel on this earth. <laughs> she will be doing meditation with us. So I feel I thank you to all of our sponsors for sponsoring the event as well. And uh, we're really excited to have everybody out. So um yes i'm really um i'm excited to see you all and thank you again south by southeast poco picoso buzz and barbecue uh voyager <laughs> dochi la liosa mari moon um south ave i'm trying to think if there's anybody else <laughs> i'm trying to picture the flyer in my head yeah but i really am appreciative of everybody you know supporting and this is all community and i can't wait for all of our community resources to come out so i will be posting a schedule along with the uh, logos of the resources who will be out that day and it will be from 10 a.m to 1 p.m so I can't wait to see all of your beautiful, beautiful faces out there with us. All right, guys, that does it for another episode of Mind If We Chat. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. I am not a mental health professional. I am an individual who is passionate about mental health and topics related to mental health. Research has been done on these topics, and I'm sharing my own personal experience. All conversation and information exchange are intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Any information shared should not be used as medical advice or to self-diagnose. If you believe you are experiencing an emergency, please talk to your primary physician or call 911.